This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by A Bug in My Blood. A Bug in My Blood. It's very small. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we talk about horror movies. One from over 20 years ago, a classic, and the other from within the last 20 years, a modern horror movie. This week, our classic is... An American Werewolf in London. Kelsey, why are we watching American Werewolf in London? We are watching American Werewolf in London um, because A, it's a great movie, and B, because our second film, our modern film, is called Bug. And both, both of these movies deal with creatures that you're not sure whether or not they're real, or at least characters in the film are not sure whether or not they are real. All right. It's the same thing with American Werewolf in London. Mm -hmm. And you really like American Werewolf in London, don't you? I love American Werewolf in London. It is one of my favorite movies. All right. So if you haven't seen it yet, now's the time to go ahead and pause uh, and watch American Werewolf in London. And we will be right back to talk about it. You saw me standing alone. Without a dream in my heart Without a love of my own It's a full moon. Beware the moon and stick to the road. Oops. All right, Kels. Yes. What was this movie about? Okay, really simple, really fast. Okay. Two college kids go on a summer backpacking trip through Europe. Their first stop is England. And um, there's two of them, two guys. And they kind of get lost on the moors. And they are attacked by what appears to be a werewolf. First you see a wolf, and then they, the wolf ends up getting shot, and it turns into a human. So you draw your own conclusions about that. So I'm going to stop you right there. Can I just point out... This is one of the first notes I wrote. If the werewolf was that easy to kill, why haven't they done it already? Right. Why are there any werewolves left? Is that If that's the last werewolf except for our guy, with spoiler alert, he turns into a werewolf, and they could just kill him, why haven't they done that already? I would guess, obviously I don't know, but I would guess that they would feel guilty because they know it is a human. Mm -hmm. And the people of this town called East Proctor are well aware of the werewolf. And I'm sure that they would rather just leave it alone because they all know what not to do. So it seems like maybe they do or do not know who the werewolf is. They just know that come full moons, the werewolf comes out and they know what to do to protect themselves. They stay inside. They stick to the roads. Uh, they don't go out at night during a full moon, yada, yada, yada. So why endanger themselves if they know how to protect themselves? Yes. But these two strangers come in, mm -hmm. and then they get attacked. So go ahead. So one of, the, one of the guys gets killed by the werewolf, and the other one simply gets attacked by it. Cut to three weeks later, our guy, David, wakes up in the hospital and is told that they were attacked by an escaped lunatic... 
because he was a human full of bullet holes. Mm-hmm. And that Jack, his friend, is dead. He refuses to believe that story. He says, no, I saw it. It was an animal, etc." And they all tell him that's impossible. He ends up falling in love with his nurse. Yeah, and she falls in love with him for what it's worth. Yes, they both fall in love with each other. She takes care of him while he's in the hospital. And then when he's released, he goes to stay with her in her apartment. Even though he's having very strange dreams and strange feelings, they all keep telling him and he keeps telling himself it's impossible to ever werewolves to exist. But his friend Jack... Griffin Dunn. ...shows up. Can I have a piece of toast? Get the fuck out of here, Jack. Thanks a lot. I can't take this. Am I asleep now, awake or what? I realize I don't look so hot, David. But I thought you'd be glad to see me. He is the undead, as they call it. Um, He's forced to... Hey, we're back to zombies again. Yes. He is forced (laughs) to wander the earth in limbo until David is killed, because he is the last remaining werewolf. We were attacked by a lycanthrope, a werewolf. I was murdered, an unnatural death. And now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Shut up. The wolf's bloodline must be severed. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. He keeps telling him you've got to kill yourself or you're going to kill a lot of other people. Take your life, David. Kill yourself before you kill others. He keeps being visited by his dead friend who keeps telling him, and every time you see him, he gets more and more gross. Progressively worse, but always kind of chipper. He is definitely half of the comic relief. This is definitely a horror comedy, just so you know, and it is is so wonderfully done. Oh, yeah. So good. No, it's great. David Naughton is fantastic. Apparently, John Landis selected David Naughton because he saw him in a Dr. Pepper commercial. Awesome. And he liked him. And Griffin Dunn is really funny anyway, so uh, they're they're a really good pair, the two of them. And David Naughton's just pretty funny on his own, just with how exasperated he gets. <laughs> What's what is I think I know what your favorite line is, and I think we've we've gotten to the point where we've already passed it in your telling, but what would you say your favorite line is? My favorite line. Yeah. I think there's two possibilities, and we passed one of them already. So there's the classic dream within a dream moment. He's having these really vivid, violent (laughs) dreams. And where Nazi monsters kill his entire family with machine guns. They slit his throat. He wakes up and he's with his nurse. And the nurse is like, you just need some sunshine. She opens the blinds and another Nazi monster stabs her and she dies. And then he wakes up again and he says, holy shit. (laughs) Shit. It's it's, it's it's really great delivery. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> like we said, he refuses to believe it. Um, and then, of course, he changes. Um, For the first time. Yes. At the nurse's house. Yes, at the nurse's apartment while she is at work. Jesus Christ! Without a dream. A God! Someone I really care for. 
somehow gets out of the apartment building without causing any sort of distress there. That's a good point. That's a little plot hole right really there. Really bothered he me. Does, he does change, and we will be talking about the change in detail in, 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 detail in a little bit, but continue on. So uh, he goes out and he kills, I think, a total of... Let's see, he kills the happy couple, so that's two. He kills the father, the that's three. And then he kills, like, three homeless people. So that's... Six? Six, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and then he wakes up in a zoo in the wolf containment area. And that's not as that's not as hard to believe because they do show that he um, had knocked down one of the walls to get the in. The fencing on the top, and on that's, the top. How, that's how he got out. And that's how he got out. Um... How he necessarily got into the zoo, not exactly explained either. It's after hours, there's nobody there. So he wakes up, and he doesn't really quite understand why he's in the zoo, but he feels great. He's got all this energy, he feels pumped up, excited, happy. And he is... Naked. Naked. (laughs) Yes, definitely naked. That's a key plot point for what I think your second favorite line of the movie is. (laughs) Or another favorite line of the movie is... He needs to get out of there, so he takes some balloons from a little boy. From a little boy. From a little British boy to cover his shame and steals a coat to get out. But there's a nice little interaction with the little boy. So he convinces the little boy to come over and talk to him because he'll he'll give him uh, two pounds. And the little boy very smartly goes... Why would a thief want to give me two pounds? And he says, here, I'll explain it to you. And then he takes away his balloons. <laughs> and this boy gives the best look. He gives the funniest look. It's very, very good. It, it It's like a look straight out of the omen. Like, he looks like an omen child. Uh-huh. And he looks kind of sinister and evil, but he smiles. It's it's like this little boy was trying to look, like, angry that he got his balloons stolen. But, but he, he couldn't help himself from laughing. Because it was a naked American man. <laughs> a naked American man stole my balloons. Yes. That's my line. So he, he goes up to his mother and and she goes, yes, love? And he goes, a naked American man stole my balloons. <laughs> it's very funny. Hey, kid, little boy with the balloons, come over here. If you come over here, I'll give you a pound, two pounds. I don't know who you are. I'm uh, the famous balloon thief. Why would a thief want to give me two pounds? Here, I'll explain it to you. Thank you. Yes, sir? A naked American man stole my balloon. What? That was his first transformation. So after that, he doesn't know what's happening and then goes back to the nurse's apartment and she's excited because everyone's really nervous and worried about him, the doctor especially, because the doctor went to East Proctor and met the people there and there was obviously something going on. And that's got a funny little interaction too. He's talking to one of the locals and the local says, there's something wrong with this place. (laughs) And the doctor goes, of that I'm sure. There's something wrong with this place. That much I understand. The doctor, I think, is convinced that he's a werewolf. I think he's convinced that he is. But he calls it a mass neurosis. Right. I think he needs to explain that. Like, he needs a rational explanation. And he's and so, in his mind, he's like, you know, it doesn't matter if he is or not. There is danger he going that on. He, he Yeah, yeah. He thinks that he is, and that's a problem. But there's obviously some, clearly something going on with the people of East Proctor 
who uh, David Ad Naughton, what's his name? Yeah, I guess his name is David in the movie. Uh, David, you know, he didn't talk to him after he talked to them after he got bit. So it is this mass neuroses, which how do you explain that? It doesn't matter. He obviously thinks he's a werewolf and he could be dangerous. So the nurse wants to get him back to the to the hospital. But in the cab drive over, they they're told by the cabbie that um, there was a bunch of murders yes. in the area the other night, last night. And so suddenly it clicks for him and he realizes what he is and he tries to get away. He tries to get arrested. That doesn't work. Then he runs away from the nurse. Specifically home. when he tries to get arrested, he says a few choice things. <laughs> in addition to... In addition to calling Prince Charles uh, the F word, the homophobic slur, yes, he's he's just really trying to piss off this cop, and he he ends it by saying one one of my favorite lines, which is Shakespeare was full of shit. Fuck cunt. No, no he, says, he says Shakespeare's <coughs> French. He says Shakespeare's French. Oh, is that what he says? <laughs> That's what he says. He also says that um, Queen Elizabeth is a man. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's Just anything funny. to get arrested to upset the sensibilities of the prim and proper British cop and to get arrested. And the guy's like, hey, you stop that right now or I'm going to have to take you in. And he's like, That's what I want to happen. Queen Elizabeth is a man. Prince Charles is a faggot. Winston Churchill is full of shit. That's enough. No. Let go of me. Shakespeare's French. Fuck. Shit. Shit. Come on, that's an hour David, please. Who is this person? If you don't stop this disturbance, I shall arrest you. That's what I want you to do, you moron. He's very upset. His friend was killed. Will you shut up? All right, it's quite enough. Come on, about your business, buddy. Come on. And it doesn't happen, so he has to run away. He runs away from the cop, and he runs away from the nurse. And he calls home to say that he loves his family, just like every other movie that wants to say how much they love someone before they know they're going to die. Right. He knows... He needs to die. But before anything can happen, he sees Griffin Dunn again. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's a reference to uh, 28 Days Later, which was in our first episode. Yeah, and the, go back and listen to the first episode. There's the moment where the father, Frank, uh, tells his daughter he loves her before he knows he's going to die. Right. So after he gets off the phone call, he sees his friend again. His friend takes him into a porno movie theater. Showing. <laughs> See you next Wednesday. What are you doing here? You promised never to do this kind of thing again. I never promised you any such things. Not you, you Twitter. I've never seen you before in my life. Oh, sorry. Good movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, two things about this. See You Next Wednesday is a movie title that John Landis puts in a lot of his movies. So it was also the first thing filmed. This this movie was filmed chronologically. And so because See You Next Wednesday was filmed before the movie takes place, that was the first thing filmed. It's very rare. If you don't know, it's very rare for a movie to be filmed chronologically. It's filmed in the most convenient way possible for when they have access to what particular locations, at what times, and when their actors are available. They, they really try to do it efficiently. Well, this one was done in chronological order. Uh, so that's See You Next Wednesday. It shows up in a lot of Jan John Landis movies. But also, it's kind of a play on See You Next Tuesday, which is a very British slang term, which uh, spells out cunt. See you and then next Tuesday. That's the second C-bomb that we've dropped in this episode. 
Yes. And then in there, there's a hilarious scene where David is forced to meet all of the people that he killed the night before. And it's very, very funny. And they end up discussing all these different ways that he could possibly kill himself. Right. How shall I do it? Sleeping pills. Not sure enough. I could hang myself. No. No, if you did it wrong, it could be painful. You'd choke to death. So what? Let him choke. Do you mind? The man's a friend of mine. Well, he ain't no friend to me. Gentlemen, please. The gun! I know where you can get a gun. Don't I need a silver bullet or something? Oh, be serious, would you? Madness. No, a gun would be good. Yes, you just put the gun to your forehead and pull the trigger. But if you put it in your mouth, you'd be sure not to miss. Thank you. You're all so thoughtful. A knife. An electric shock. A car crash? You could throw yourself in front of a tube. Drowning. Before he can leave the theater, he changes again. Uh-huh. Kills a couple of people inside the theater. And then cops, of course, show up. He escapes, only to be followed by the police, and then eventually shot by the police. He is found by the police, and the nurse barges her way through the cop line. Which makes no sense. I mean, you know. They never do. Whenever a person. Right. But they need to have this moment in the right. movie. You're right. Yeah. They all they always manage to get through even though they shouldn't be allowed through. It's all the way down at the alley and she talks to him, tells him that she loves him and all yada yada and he seems to react and then he lunges for her and the cops fire. The problem is from that angle she is completely covering the yes. werewolf yes. and they're way far back there is no way they could shoot around her and kill that werewolf but you know what suspension of disbelief and then she starts crying and then <laughs> movie over credits cut to credits yeah <laughs> It is one of the most abrupt cut to credits that I have ever seen. And it's like a happy song. I can't remember what song it is. It's Blue Moon. Oh, right. Every song in the film is about moons. Bad Moon Rising and and so on. Yes. So that was... Great soundtrack. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, really good. Great soundtrack if you want to listen to a lot of songs about the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was the storyline of American Werewolf in London. Kelsey, what did you think of the movie? Well, I love this movie. I uh-huh. Like I said, it's one of my favorites. Why is that? Okay, so I grew up watching this movie, uh-huh. which there's a lot of stuff that we haven't talked about yet. But I We'll give you a little backstory about ourselves and our, our movie watching history as the series goes, but this is a moment for you. Go ahead. Right, so this is one of my, par- one of my mom's favorite 80s movies. My parents introduced me to a lot of cult hit movies as well as big time, big box office blowouts. Um, Blockbusters. Everything. My parents were, I mean, my parents always loved art house movies. Like, I was really lucky in that. I was brought up in a household that showed me movies that no one has seen all the way mm-hmm. to the biggest movies that everyone's and they, seen. And they still do. There are times when we see some really obscure movie and then we tell them about it and they're like, oh yeah, did you like it? Because we saw it and <laughs> god damn it! <laughs> This is one of my mom's favorite movies, and there's a lot of stuff in it that you should not be seeing when you're a child. Oh, no. I have a great memory of... There's a porno in it. Like, you don't see everything. But you get He runs around naked. Yes. uh Uh, You see his penis. Another movie. Okay, we've seen three movies so far, and in two of them it has full frontal male nudity. Yes. 
my mom, I just have a very clear memory of my mom. The first time he runs through the forest naked, I remember her turning to me and be like, I didn't remember that was in this. And she had this look on her face like I should turn it off, but I really like this movie, so she didn't. <laughs> I had a similar moment for Saturday Night Fever. My mom was really excited to show it to us. And then people are having sex hanging out the backseat of a car on the street. And she's like... I forgot this was so sexually charged, and she turned it off. We were pretty young. But we see, were very my, young. My mom did not turn it off, <laughs> and I got to see the whole thing. I mean, there's a whole sex scene, which, by the way, during the sex scene, there is a song playing um, um, Moon Dance. Oh. And because I saw Marvelous it at such a young a age, dance. that movie yeah. has, I mean, that song has always been sex sex to me oh my so, god yeah. how did i not know this yeah so that i mean when i hear that song that's exactly what i'm thinking about and it was definitely on certain playlists in my life but anyway oh! <laughs> anyway i definitely we definitely can't let our parents listen to this now <laughs> just realized that you can, t- <laughs> you can tell your mom how much her parenting led to your personal kinks. Yes. All right, so my parents have a great story about this movie. Okay, let's hear it. So like we said, this is a horror comedy, right? And it's got crazy of special effects, which we're also going to talk about a little bit in a little bit. And um, very grotesque stuff. You have to understand, it's a lot of body horror. It's a man turning into a wolf. You get to see people who have been killed. Um, come back as the undead and like we said every time he shows up on screen he gets more and more gross right so if you're not prepared for that you might have come into this movie not expecting all this gross stuff and you have to remember this was made in the early 80s so apparently when my parents saw this in theaters they came in like on an empty day It was pretty empty, but there was an older couple, an elderly couple sitting there. And I guess halfway through the film, out of disgust, and they made sure that every, everyone, my parents and whoever else was in the theater knew that they were disgusted. They, they were like, oh, oh, this is so disgusting. And they walked out. It's, it's, it's about a werewolf. What do you think is going to, I mean, I guess there are a lot of werewolf movies that we've seen that aren't so bad, like The Wolfman or um, I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Like, they're not really violent. It's very tame. And um, also, just all the sex, all the violence, all the gore, added with humor, I think was very difficult for them to understand. It's inappropriate. Right. So my parents are up there laughing their asses off. And this elderly couple, like, gets up and they're just, like, basically they looked down upon my parents for Uh finding it funny. So, it's a great movie. (laughs) I love it. All right, let's talk about that transformation. Okay. So, a lot of really, really neat stuff in that transformation. If, If you didn't watch the movie along with us, you should really, like, YouTube that. I'm sure it's somewhere. It is fantastic he just starts freaking out i'm on fire or whatever he says he's burning up and he just starts stripping down and this is where he gets completely naked for the first time no he was naked in his dream oh you're right you're right yeah Yeah, he was running through the forest naked so this is the first time in real life he gets naked uh, and he strips down and that's this is when he starts changing and there's a little stuff that looks a little cheesy like when he has that mane of fur but his face is still obviously human it's that that's a little wonky but it could be overlooked for all the other incredible stuff like all the pieces 
Like you hear bones breaking, you see his arm extending the amazing shot where it goes from his very human face into into a wolf face and you see it in the shot there are a few things where they cut away and they cut back and he's more transformed but not much so much of it is done in frame Mm -hmm. including uh when he grows his hair which no joke they had this 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 fake skin that they manually put every single one of those hairs in and there was this film on the other side that it was also uh attached to and what they did is they pulled that away, making the hair recede into the body. And then they played that in reverse to make it look like the hair was growing. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. And the person responsible for all of this is Rick Baker. Rick Baker is an incredibly famous uh, special effects makeup artist. Uh, he does tons and tons of things that you've absolutely seen, including, this is the list that we're going to go down. He did the Werecat creature from Thriller. Michael Jackson's Werecat. Uh-huh. He did. Uh, was that John Landis too? I don't. Think I think so. It, it was. I, wasn't it John Landis? No, it was uh, the the director of. Um... I'm gonna look it up right now. No, it was it was Lucas. No, you're thinking Captain EO. Oh, Captain EO, I miss you. George Lucas did Captain EO. John Landis, in fact, did Thriller. Oh. Okay. So, uh, and Thriller was in 1983, this was, uh, 1981. Mm -hmm. So, um, he did do American Werewolf in London before he did Thriller, but he also did Thriller. He did The Exorcist, he did Makeup for The Exorcist, Star Wars A New Hope, he's responsible for a lot of, for a lot of the stuff there, including the Cantina Monsters, Monsters, sorry, they're aliens, um... (laughs) Speciesist. He, he did the howling, and if if I'm accurate, there's a story about how uh, it took eight years to get this movie made, and Rick Baker was on really early on in production, and it just didn't seem like it was happening, so he took a job doing the howling, and which was another werewolf movie, and then John Landis calls him up and said, "All right, we're ready to go. Let's do it." And he's like, "Um, I'm already doing howling," and John Landis got super pissed at him. <laughs> Apparently has not forgiven him to this day for it. But he did American Werewolf in London. Yes. What he did is he quit the howling and he gave it to one of his protégés that worked with him. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, so he still gets minor credit for doing the howling. And he did this instead, which honestly, way better choice. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. Not that I've ever seen the howling. He did Videodrome. Ah, yes. Which has tons and tons of body horror. Yeah. Uh, and he did Captain EO. <laughs> So we were just talking about Captain EO. He did Captain EO. Uh, And then going back from the most recent to his earliest, these are the movies that he won an Academy Award for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. Seven. Seven of them. That's a record. The Wolfman from 2011. How the Grinch Stole Christmas from 2001. Men in Black from 1999. Sorry, 98. The Nutty Professor from 1997, which got a lot of praise for its fat suit stuff. Ed Wood from 1995, he did the makeup in that. Harry and the Hendersons from 1988, which he personally says, I think is his his favorite thing he's ever done. He did Harry, obviously. And the first Academy Award he ever won for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, An American Werewolf in London from 1981. That's fantastic. I didn't know that. Which won the first ever Academy Award 
for best makeup and hairstyling. Wow. It was the first year they ever gave out an award and he won it. It's like they got to the point where like, okay, we obviously have to give out awards for this stuff. And it's like, okay. And it's obviously going to Rick Baker. This is an incredible scene. And throughout the actual monster looks insane. Uh, if you look at some behind the scenes shots of it, you can see it's like on a rig where they can get it to, uh, to turn its head and growl and blink and snarl and move its legs and all that stuff. Uh, when it's actually attached to a larger rig being controlled by people. It is incredible. And Rick Baker, man, total props to you. Absolutely insane. So he has the record for Academy Awards for Best Makeup and Hairstyling. He is most proud of Harry and the Hendersons. So there you go. He also retired recently in 2015 saying this. First of all, the CG stuff definitely took away this the animatronics part of what I do. It's also starting to take away the makeup part. The time is right. I'm 64 years old and the business is crazy right now. I like to do things right and they wanted cheap and fast. Aww. That is not what I wanted to do, so I just decided it's basically time to get out. I would consider designing and consulting on something, but I don't think I will have a huge working studio anymore. That is so sad. So, and I don't know if you're ever planning on having us watch uh, Jurassic Park, but Jurassic Park is one of those movies kind of responsible for this shift. And there's tons of anecdotal, like, anecdotes about... You know, aren't we getting back, practical effects being extinct. Aren't and, we getting back into practical effects? I mean, uh, and particularly with Star Wars, J.J. Mm -hmm. uh, Abrams made a point of using a lot of practical effects in that. Uh, and you can definitely see the benefits, uh, especially early on CG. Oh, early CG is absolutely awful. And I've said it since the beginning. I mean, of course, I, it made sense because back then it was really bad. But... I've always been of the opinion that practical effects look so much better. I mean... They just take longer. They're much more expensive. Right. And there are ways that it falters, too. Absolutely. They're not perfect. But when you look at 1977 Star Wars versus 2001 Star Wars, it, it, I mean... There's so much they did in camera in Star Wars uh, New Hope. It looks so much better. Like the like the land effects. speeder, that's actually a car driving and they have mirrors set up to make it look like it's floating. Like and it that looks was done amazing. in camera. The credit crawl or not the credit the opening crawl, that's done in camera. So, yeah, there's tons of stuff you can do with practical effects and it's really nice to see him tapping into it cuz you can get amazing work like you get in American Werewolf in London. So, that is Rick Baker, what else would you like to talk about? They're told very, a couple of times before they leave the uh, Slaughtered Lamb, which is the... Uh, the name of the pub that the they're at the in the Moors. In East Proctor. Mm -hmm. And sadly, listeners, neither actually exist. There is no East Proctor and there is no Slaughtered Lamb. So the Slaughtered Lamb is two different, th different things. It's an exterior uh, that exists. It's a house, I think, right now where somebody lives. The interior is a pub in Surrey called the Black Swan, and it's been completely made over since the 80s, so it looks completely different now. So even if you wanted to go, you couldn't see it. Sorry, you don't get to see the slaughtered lamb. I was very sad, yeah. because we're going, we are going to England for over the summer, and I was really excited to go and see it and tell uh -huh. you guys all about it, but no. Uh-huh. So they're told by the people of East Proctor many times, keep off the moors, 
stick to the roads, beware the moon. And okay, if you were to tell me to beware the moon, I'd probably think you were a crazy person. But if you told me to stick to the moors, I mean, stick off, stay off the moors, stick to the road, I definitely would. You know more about they, this area than I do. And they it, completely just go off walking with no directions. They don't yeah. have GPS. They, they have no idea where they're going and they just wander out into the moors after they've been told. And there's a great moment where the, <laughs> they realize it and uh, David goes... it's almost like a nod from the director like yeah that was really dumb (laughs) doing stupid shit how else are we gonna get this to happen come on audience so this nurse woman we get to see the inside of her house she is obsessed with mickey i'm not sure why excuse me no, no 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 let me explain i love disney but she has these little plastic doll things. Listen, it's she's the got, it's, it, it's nineteen eighty one is when it was filmed. She's got two Mickey's. There wasn't a lot to work with that back look then. Look exactly the same. She has one Minnie who looks exactly the same. I'm surprised has a bow. her. I'm surprised her collection wasn't entirely made up of ceramic plates. She has a poster of just Mickey Mouse, <laughs> just him. I mean, you have to understand, guys. This is an adult woman nurse and there's a porno in this movie <laughs> yeah but it's just it's very strange there's also one donald i did i did catch donald yes. in one shot but yeah i was just like what is this lady's obsession with mickey everywhere listen don't you disparage her <laughs> so cut to the part where david wakes up i'm not kidding you guys uh the nurses say yes doctor <laughs> Every other line. Yes, doctor. Yes, doctor. Yes, doctor. Yes, doctor. Over and over and over again. It was very distracting. Also, both of these nurses are like crazy attracted to this guy. Charles, this is from New York. Oh, I think he's a Jew. What makes you say that? I've had a look. And not to say that he's not an attractive man, but he's certainly no Leonardo DiCaprio, and they're just, like, fawning <laughs> over him. And I'm like, why? He's no Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, of the two guys... The 1981. Of the two guys, the dead one was way cuter. <coughs> Should we talk about the guy you're attracted to from 80s movies? No. <laughs> Which one? I think you know your favorite 80s movie ever. Valley Girl? Yes. Nicolas Cage? I wasn't attracted to Nicolas Cage in that movie. You love him in that movie. I love him as a character. I'm not attracted to him. I'll mm-hmm. never... I'm sorry, Nicolas Cage, if you ever hear this. I'm not attracted to you. <laughs> okay, well, that clarifies Valley Girl a little bit for me. I always thought you had the hots for him. Oh, no, not at all. Also, the American Embassy man who comes to, like, make sure that everything's okay. Oh, my God, is he amazingly awful. Yeah, he's great. I love him. I appreciate how, how upset you are, but, but this, is, this is no reason for hysterics. Mr. Kessler? Mr. Kessler, try not to excite yourself. Even though his best friend is dead and he's, like, all he wants to do is get the truth out and this guy is just, like, giving him shit. And then when he walks out, he stops and he says to the doctor, these kids these days, they don't appreciate anything you do for them. And I'm just like, why is he such an asshole? But I guess it's it's supposed to be funny, which it is. Do you know who that was? No. This person plays two parts in this movie. Does he? Yes. What's the second one? Miss Piggy. Oh, that's awesome. It's Frank Oz. 
is is the guy who tells him to calm down and yeah. Uh-huh. I actually love that you brought that up. Okay, so he's talking about a, a sequence, one of his dreams, the one where the Nazi zombie things show up. Yeah, Nazi monsters. Yeah. And um, his little sister and brother are watching the Muppets. And if you listen, you'll actually hear that Miss Piggy is saying... About the violence, how inappropriate yeah, the violence is. Yes, and how inappropriate the uh, the violence is. Oh, she says, you call that violence art? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a perfect nod. Oh, it's totally nod. commentary. On yeah, this. It's this is a very commentary. self-aware movie. And yes, it, it is all the better for it. It totally gets it right. Also, there's this weird... Okay, so they give the nurse something to do, and she, like, walks around doing her rounds, and there's this one kid that she has to see, like, three times. And he's always like, no! Yeah, he just keeps saying no. How are we feeling tonight? No! No what? No! Benjamin, have you ever been severely beaten about the face and neck? No! I thought not. What is this? We Why just have they... to know that she has a job and her job isn't all him. I understand. And when he's home alone, totally she's off doing something. You're right. You're and right. Totally very unnecessary. Strange. No. 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 <laughs> no. Also, a kid comes up and slaps her on the butt and she's just like, meh. <laughs> Are you kidding Again, me? it was 1981. That's true. <laughs> he's in college. She's a full-fledged nurse. And at one point he says, you're a very beautiful girl. And it's super creepy. Okay, he's way, she's older than you dude why are you calling her a girl she's a woman so let's mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit jenny Ag- agutter a gutter a gutter i have no I don't idea know. she was born at the end of 1952 um oh by the way she's also in the avengers and captain america winter soldier what uh yeah she plays one of the congress people like officials oh uh yeah she doesn't have a very large part uh but david was born in 1951 so she is younger than him. Wow. But he is, he's, he is he's almost not, two years. But he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be in college. Yeah. So still. Jack has some great one-liners. Life mocks me even in death because he talks about how this chick that he had a crush on came to his funeral and then went and had sex with another guy oh, right yeah. after. Uh-huh. You ever talk to a corpse? It's boring. Because <laughs> he's trying to get him to kill himself. Do you live by yourself? yourself? Yes. Good. So creepy. I can't believe I've never noticed that before. Well, I think the idea is that they were both already attracted to each other, and I think that was very apparent. <laughs> so that just means that there's sexy time a coming, and she was into that. I guess. So also, she has a Casablanca poster up in her room, up in her apartment, which I thought was very, again, self-aware, forbidden love. You know. Sure. That sort of thing. They can't be together at the end. Rotten Tomatoes. What's your guess? 85? 89. Woo! Overrated or underrated? Uh, underrated, because I would give it an A. Yeah, so at least a 90? At least. I would actually probably give it a 94. Nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I I think 89 is kind of just right. I, my, I would probably personally give it 90, 91, maybe a 92. It's a very good, fun movie. If you like horror movies that don't take themselves too seriously and actually have elements of comedy in them, uh, I would highly recommend you go see this. Kelsey, you would as well, I imagine. I would very highly recommend it. All right, that is 1981's An American Werewolf in London. I'm sorry I'm upsetting you, David, but you don't understand what's going on. I understand, all right. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Yes, that's right. Next up, we're going to be watching Bug, which is about what? 
A woman is very, very lonely and sad. She meets another very lonely and sad man who is wrapped up in a conspiracy theory that the government has put invisible bugs into his skin because he used to work for the government and he's saying that you know the government's evil and they're trying to listen into us and shit and getting way too detailed (laughs) and she falls in love with him and then chaos ensues as these two very lonely people cling to each other through this madness starring ashley judd and michael shannon i'm really excited to see this one because we both love Michael Shannon. He's such a good actor. He is so good in everything he does. And he's only in lesser known stuff. He's only in obscure stuff. Right. Except he was in Man of Steel as oh Zod. As Which Zod. is his probably worst role I've seen. Right. Uh, and his corpse was in Batman v Superman. Oh. True. <laughs> um, so Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon in 2006's bug so go ahead and watch it now we'll stop here and when we come back we'll talk about bug they live in your blood what is that hey you see it it's a bug jerry you can't stay here you throw me out place is crawling with these things and they feed on your brain there's no bugs on your skin you have to dig it out i'll dig it out we'll show you This December, from the Academy Award-winning director of The Exorcist, comes the movie the Chicago Tribune calls one of the most disturbing horror movies imaginable. We have to kill him. They want you to know they're there. Bug. We'll never really be safe again. All right, Bug. Kelsey. We've already done uh, American Werewolf in London. Yeah, but we've also done a. Um, I've already said what the thing, what the story is. We did it at the end of American Werewolf in London. Did we really? Yeah, I don't know why you asked me to. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm supposed to ask you. This is the part where I ask you what the movie's about. But you already did. <laughs> I think that was just supposed to be a primer. Like, hey, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, here's what it's about. Now that we've seen the movie, what is Bug about? I'm going to be repeating myself here. Um, It's about a woman who's very lonely. Uh Um, She is divorced? I don't know if they ever said if they were actually married or not. But she's out of a relationship that was really toxic and bad. But the guy still wants to get back together with her because he's controlling. And she works at a lesbian bar even though she is not a lesbian. And her friend who works there with her introduces her to a man who she forms a relationship with and the relationship becomes toxic and controlling in a different way because instead of trying to control her, which Harry Connick Jr. does, that's her ex. Yeah. Michael Shannon, who is the new guy. Peter. Controls her by making her believe in an infestation of bugs That we never really find out if they're really there or not. The implication is that they are not there. Right. And he controls her by being like, I'll basically leave you if you don't fall down this rabbit hole of paranoia and fear with me. See, that's the thing. I don't think, I never really, I never really saw Peter at any point threaten her. He doesn't threaten her. He basically just explains like, look, if you don't believe, he doesn't say this outright. 
but his actions implicate that if she doesn't fall in line with what he believes in, he will leave. And that's why she continues to believe in it. Right. I think that she knows that he'll leave. An interesting thing about toxic relationships here. I, I don't think that Peter is he, he hasn't targeted her. I don't think that he's intentionally trying to manipulate her. I think he is a very particular type of crazy and Agnes is a very, uh, Ashley Judd's character is a very particular type of desperate. Yes. And these two people together spark this crazy adventure that we go on in this movie. I don't think either one, like, neither one of them should be doing the things that they're doing. But it's not like Harry Connick Jr. who is specifically trying to target and manipulate Agnes to get what he wants. Uh, yeah, and that's why I say there is there is a difference between the way that they do it, but I don't know if you remember, but there's a part where um, her lesbian friend who's trying, who realizes that she's made a huge mistake by introducing the two of them. Yeah, R.C. She tries to take Ashley Judd out of the Agnes. picture, out of the relationship, and he starts to self-harm. You're going to stay with me for a while. I want you to pack a bag. Agnes, well, look at me. I want you to pack a bag. Oh. Saying that it's the bugs. Yeah. And that's his way of getting her to stay. Like, right. look, if you leave, I'm pretty much going to tear myself apart and you won't be with me anymore. Mm-hmm. And he knows that she's exceptionally lonely and desperate and she'll do anything to stay in the relationship. Yeah. They're two types of crazy sort of complement each other and take them down this road to awfulness, <laughs> to cataclysm. I think I think we can say conclusively that none of it's real, and I think there are a few indications that make that point. There are many indications, absolutely, but it's never fully decided. It is. I think. You think so. I think it is. I, but I, let's make it clear okay. for the listeners. It is never outright stated whether or not it's I there think or not. I think through the language of the film, it is conclusive that it is not real. Okay, explain. Uh, first of all, you never see a single bug. And really? I understand that that could... You see the flies. There are flies in the apartment when Harry Connick Jr. shows up for the first time when Peter's there alone. Yes. Um, and he grabs the bug spray or whatever. I also I also would like to point out that this was originally based on a play. And you have to take into consideration that... That the this, audience there would not have seen the you play. You would either. not right. know if they were there or not. We get up close and personal with the characters and we can see that there's nothing there. And we should say that Michael Shannon originally played the role of Peter in the play. Did he really? He did, yeah. That's and awesome. so when uh, William Friedkin made the movie... And we'll talk about William Friedkin in a little bit. He kind of said, okay, well, Michael Shannon, you're you're the guy, right? Like, you're perfect for this. And he really is, and we will definitely talk about Michael Shannon in a little bit. Yes, you're right. There are certain things that in a play setting we would not see. But this is a movie, it is a different medium, and they have opportunities to show us things. True. And that they, number one, do not show us. True. Which could just be replicating the play. And number two decide to show us like at the very end there are a few points when uh so there's a lot of there's a lot of paranoia imagery being used and not just imagery but sounds and things like that that hint towards paranoia like the fan you see the ceiling fan and it associates the ceiling fan with helicopter blades yes right so you hear helicopter blades which indicate paranoia the very first shot of the film is very obviously a helicopter shot they do not hide the fact that that is a helicopter 
It's not some like omniscient camera floating in. It flies right over the top of the of the motel that they're staying at. So they want you to be thinking helicopter, you know, like 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 black site helicopter, you know, like that sort of thing. Uh, the government's watching you. But there are, are are two points I think in the movie where a helicopter gets super close and shines the light into the room and everything's shaking and all of that. And the second time they do that, they go back outside to show us Harry Connick Jr. And he's banging on the door and fucking nothing is happening. I know. It is quiet. And I I certainly believe that Michael Shannon, I certainly believe that his character is definitely paranoid and believes in things that are not there. That is absolutely true. Like you said, with that part, they really make that clear. However, I I really do don't want to say that the bugs for sure definitely 100% do not exist because there's so much ambiguity and there's so many scenes where it's like, wait a minute, what's happening? Like with the doctor that shows up, Mm -hmm. he's a hard character to trust because he never really makes it clear that we should trust him. Well, I think there are a few, with the doctor, I think there are a few times where we get the indication that certain things about him aren't real. You don't think he's a real character? No, I think he's a real character. I think they really kill him. Michael yes. Shannon really kills him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a real human. I don't think he's a robot, a life model decoy or whatever. But he does certain things that they see that I think is is fake. I do think he buys into their crazy in order to convince them to come with him. I think he lies about a lot of things. He validates some of their theories. And he does that just to make them acquiesce right and i could understand that to a point but here's the thing when he first shows up wouldn't you think that the first thing he would explain is like show some sort of identification show hey i'm a real therapist i was really treating michael shannon's character and he does have serious yes Mm -hmm. but but from her standpoint from ashley judd's perspective um it would seem that well, he's just here, he's part of the government's conspiracy, mm-hmm. etc. And he never tries to explain to her, no, I'm really just here to help him. No, I understand. But I, I, I'm saying I think that's because it's his tactic to validate the things that they're saying. Because if he comes in saying none of this is real, I'm just trying to help, they're gonna get they're gonna reject him and they're not gonna go with him. I don't understand. I'll I don't cut it understand. Open. I'll show you. <laughs> and unfortunately it backfires. <laughs> How could he know that Michael Shannon would think that he's a robot and try to cut him open to reveal that he's a robot, which he never actually shows her that he's actually a robot. Uh, they just kind of move on from there. And it was a long time that Harry Connick Jr. was just chilling outside. <laughs> what was Harry Connick Jr. doing? Like, I think Harry Connick Jr. got in contact with the person who was looking for Peter. Uh, we know he was looking for Peter at the bar. Uh, which where RC works. So it's reasonable to assume that Harry Connick Jr. ran into him at some point, but we don't see that. We don't see anything that Agnes or Peter don't see, except for that one shot of Harry Connick Jr. pounding on the on the door. But we're, every scene we're a part of is a scene that at least one of them is a part of. So I, I do think that he's real. I think it's very, it's reasonable that Harry Connick Jr. would be a part of that, but then he kicks him out. The, the doctor does, kicks him out, and then he just disappears for a good 20 minutes or so. Hmm. And it's like, okay, well, I seriously doubt. So I think there are some things that, that we can't believe in the movie. And I think the, the movie outright tells you you can't believe it. 
with those little hints, like the helicopter blowing everything around or the shaking motel room, and then you cut to outside and it's totally fine and nothing's happening. But if you should choose to believe that the bugs are real, you can easily make allowances for that. Because like I said, there's no... There's no way you can't believe that Michael Shannon is not crazy. You you know that. It's very, very clear. He obviously has paranoia. He obviously is schizophrenic. He's got problems. And so I think that kind of makes allowances for all those times that it becomes clear that, no, this is all part of the delusion. But the bug thing, it's really hard. From my perspective, I think it's a 99% surety that they're not real. But there is that 1%. And like I said, if you really think about it as being done as a play, you wouldn't get to get up in their faces and see what's real and what's not real. Yeah. And so I think that that's, I think that's part of what got lost in the process of making the. No, film. I th- I think it's a different medium. Its job is not to exactly duplicate the play. If they wanted to do that, they would have just put on the play or filmed the play, which they didn't do. I think I think they explicitly did things that made the movie different from the play and therefore it has different uses. And I think that's the thing about adaptations and people are like, why would you even adapt, adapt it at all? It's a book. It should stay a book. No, <laughs> things are adapted because you can do different things in different mediums and it can mean different things to different people in different mediums. I think what the movie does in this case is it points out exactly how even if you are there and you're in the room, exactly how much you would believe Michael Shannon's character. Whereas with with the play, it puts you in this weird spot where you just don't know. The movie puts the audience in a spot where, well, they're kind of there for all of it. And if you allow any of the things that Michael Shannon is saying, the movie is telling you, you see, it could happen. People could believe this stuff because there's a part of it that's believable. And that shows you exactly how far I think you would go personally. At what point you decide, no, this is just nonsense, is the point that you would have checked out if you were Agnes. But it tells you that people check out at different points. And some people just never check out at all. And in this case, Agnes doesn't. And in the end, they set themselves and the whole place on fire. And, which they had to do in one take because they didn't have the budget. It was a very low budget movie. <laughs> there's there's more stuff about the different takes, but they had to burn the the motel room down in one take. It was in like a high school gymnasium or something like that too. So I've got two questions for you, Chris. Okay, yeah. Chris, this is the first movie that we've watched that Chris has never seen. Yes. So I have two questions. One, would you agree with me that this is a horror film and why? And secondly, what did you think of it? I don't know. We haven't even talked about it. I don't even know if he liked it or not. So I would agree that this is a horror movie. Uh, but because, like we said in the first episode, I give the, the genre horror a pretty wide berth. I think a lot of things can fall into the horror genre. And when you start getting into uh, psychosis, paranoia, murder, violence, uh, suicide, and it's not explicitly rooted in the real uh, and even sometimes then, I think that that's absolutely a horror movie. What and about it's, this it's movie? Very, it's very horrific. What about this movie specifically? Would you say qualifies it as a horror movie? The self-harm, the paranoia, like I said, not knowing what's real and what isn't, being exposed to things that I think explicitly are not real but still show up in the movie. But it's not magical. It's supposed to be terrifying. The terror 
of not knowing what's real and what isn't, I think, contributes to the fact that it's horror. The bloody and gruesome murders and suicides. Yeah, I think it's it's frightening, and I think it's frightening in different ways, including giving you a little bit of exposure as to what real schizophrenia and other mental disorders can be like if you're an RC character that tries to do something about it and they make it very difficult to do that or you're just exposed to it and you allow yourself to believe some of the things that they're believing so it's a little too out there to just be a drama and I think the parts that are out there are horrifying and that makes it a horror movie what did I think about it I liked it I think because it was so out there I absolutely loved Michael Shannon and Ashley Judd. And maybe this will be the part once I'm done here where we talk about Michael Shannon a little bit more. But ever since I was little, I had the biggest crush on Ashley Judd. I love her so much. (laughs) And I think she did a really good job. She has this point. there When I was writing notes, there were two parts where I was like, oh, my God. Right. (laughs) So there was, oh, my God, Michael Shannon is amazing. (laughs) <laughs> right. I, I literally I wrote that down and we'll get to Michael Shannon. That's because he was he it was at the point in the movie when he was explaining to her all the crazy shit. And he mentions Tim McVeigh and Ted Kaczynski about how the government is after them and how they're radical um, anti or ex-military people who go AWOL or go crazy after being in the military. Maybe they're being experimented on by the military. You're younger than I am, so you, so you may not know this stuff, but do you know who Tim McVeigh is? No. Timothy McVeigh is one of the people involved in the um, Oklahoma City bombing. I thought that was the Unabomber. No. We'll get there. Okay. Timothy McVeigh and the other guy whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, uh, they drove a rented van up to the federal building in Oklahoma City and set off a car bomb destroying the place. It was the the largest act of domestic terrorism perpetrated by an American citizen. But see, you keep saying one, but then you tell me that there's two. There was another guy, too. So why who is he called the Unabomber? Him. He's not the Unabomber. I'm telling you that. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. She was young at the time. She doesn't know this stuff. <laughs> He's the Oklahoma City bomber. Okay. Unabomber is a completely different person, has nothing to do with the Unabomber. Unabomber? Wait for it! (laughs) So he was convicted and he was executed kind of recently. And this was back in 95. So you were what? Eight? Something like that. Seven or eight, depending on the I think you were seven because it was the first half of the year, I think. So there's him, Tim McVeigh. He was ex-military, also like super racist and shit. He was awful, awful human being. And the other person he mentions is Ted Kaczynski. Ted Kaczynski was the Unabomber. So he does mention the Unabomber as well. And Ted Kaczynski is a intellectual gone crazy living out in the woods. And he was sending mail bombs to people. And so they'd show up, they'd be opened, and then they'd explode. Oh, jeez. Yeah. He also is famous for writing a manifesto. Also, notoriously insane. Like, he... I mean, not just because he was sending mail bombs, but the things he believed. He was very... He was like a paranoid, schizophrenic type person. So, that makes Peter kind of associated with the Oklahoma City bombers and the Unabomber and domestic terrorists, basically. And so I don't think it puts you really on his side, but I think what he's pointing out is that they are the way they are 
because of what the government did to them. And that's the whole thing is this is a government conspiracy. You know, the government put these bugs in them. The government tested him. That He mentions the Tuskegee experiments. Now, see, here's my biggest issue. This kind of media tells people to be afraid of people with schizophrenia, which is really unfair uh, because I personally am related to some people um, that have schizophrenia. And it's, you know, it's a terrible disease, but you can't put the blame on the person. Right. It is a disease. It is something that they can't control. So... But if left to their own devices... Right. And that's why I think something, a big thing that should be talked about after seeing a movie like this is our country's stance on mental health issues. We should be more helpful and we should be aiding these people better than we are. I agree. I agree. Another thing I th- I didn't think of when we're talking about horror and gruesome scenes, I talked about murdering the doctor, um, but I have here written verbatim, Jesus, that tooth scene. Oh, man, that was intense. Yes, Michael Shannon. Blood everywhere. Oh, jeez. I think this is a good time to talk about Michael Shannon's performance. He is so amazing. We love him. We love Michael Shannon. No, not some bugs. Don't give me some bugs. Presence of bugs, absence of bugs. The sign outside says vacancies or no vacancies. It doesn't say possibility of vacancies. Now, do we have bugs or not? And your doctor is lying to you. And the weird thing is, is that after this movie, I looked up his filmography and he has been in so many movies. Things you wouldn't think about, like Groundhog Day. Right? Uh, Pearl Harbor. Who did he play in Groundhog Day? Vanilla Sky. Who did he play in Vanilla Sky? Uh, Eight Mile, Kangaroo Jack, Bad Boys 2. Yeah. He was. He's very much a person of authority really early on in his career because of the way he looks and the way he talks. You think of him as either being some, like, goober countryman kind of thing or a military person or somebody in a position of authority. Which is sad because I actually, I find him very attractive. So Mm. it's really... Should I read into that at all? It's really sad. No, he's a handsome dude. He just has a funny look about him. Yes. And I I mean, I like, I like quirky looking men. So other, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Other things he's in, he's in The Woodsman, which we just saw. I put it on just because he was in it. Right. And Kevin Bacon playing a pedophile. From what I didn't see the whole thing, but what I did see of it, it looked pretty good. It was pretty good. Michael Shan's barely in it. Though, yeah. Which was a bummer. Revolutionary <laughs> Road. Was he the neighbor? I don't remember. Is he the neighbor that has sex with Kate Winslet? That doesn't sound right. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. It's been such a long time since I've seen Revolutionary Road. Revolutionary Road sucks. Um <laughs> well it's it it is what happens when you just take a play and you film it. Not no, no, no. I did I did not mean that it is a bad movie. I mean that it's it is horribly depressing and miserable. To watch. Yeah, totally. There there is nothing about it that is enjoyable. Probably the first thing we saw where we were like, okay, we know this guy, not Revolutionary Road, but this next thing I'm about to say. We know this guy. Yes, we've seen him in other things before this, but this is the time where we were like, okay, we need to identify this person as an actor and start paying attention more to the things he's in. Can you think of what that is? I've got two movies coming to mind, but neither of them... It's not a movie. Them, 
Oh. Boardwalk Empire. Oh, God. He was barely... I didn't No, like he was not barely in it. Yeah, but I didn't like Boardwalk Empire. He was the Empire. cop who was after them. Yeah, I know. We stopped watching Boardwalk Empire after the first season or so. We got, I think because, we got a little bit in the second season. Because they killed off Michael Pitt. I, <laughs> why would you do that? God, can we please talk about your taste in men? Because it really <laughs> makes me feel kind of shitty. Um... <laughs> Anyway, but he was he was really good in Boardwalk Empire, and that's really when I started to notice him, and he started to be in more things. After Boardwalk Empire was another movie about uh, delusions that might be real. And well, spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> hey, in, okay. I think that when we post these, we should just be like, spoilers everywhere. Right, no, about the movies we're talking about, but we talk about so many other movies that they're in, we can't. So... I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna bleep that out or something. I'm gonna do something do that. to that. Uh, but take shelter is the movie that we're talking about. Very good. Very good. Where he starts, he he gets visions that a great storm is going to come, like the great flood. Yeah, and he is going he he's going to prepare for it, and it ruins everything about his life, uh, his family relationships, his job. Just he loses everything based on this conviction of something he believes in. And uh, this part I won't bleep out. At the end of the movie, you do find out uh, if it is or is not real. And so you do get that kind of closure. And so it tells you a lot about that character, I think, uh, as to whether or not he's justified or did he lose everything for nothing. Very good movie. I think you should see Take Shelter. He was in Mud. He was in Premium Rush. He was in The Iceman, which you still haven't seen where he plays the Iceman, who's a hitman for the mob. He had an ice cream truck, I think, if I remember correctly, but he would basically put the dead bodies on ice so it would confuse the coroners as to time of death and to make it harder to find out the circumstances of their death. He was obviously in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman Which as Zod. Which is the only time I've ever not enjoyed his acting. And no, it's he's just, so good as Zod. It's, he's it's like probably, one of the only good things. It's because the movie is so... He's intense and insane, and that is what Michael Shannon should be. It's just a, it's just a dumb character, I think. Um, but he, anyway, he's, he's in also in Midnight, Midnight Special, Special, which is very good as yes, well. Yes, where he kidnaps his son. Which again deals with, is it real? Is it is real it and real? is it not real? Yeah, so these are the kind of movies you should see Michael Shannon for. Uh, he kidnaps his son because there's he's a part of a cult that believes he's like a savior or powerful being. But he doesn't do it for the cult. He does it for the kid. He does it for his yeah. child. But it is, all again, all about belief and doing something because you are convinced that it's true and then maybe or maybe not being vindicated at the end. And he's in They Came Together, which is a really good spoof on romantic comedies. I think you should absolutely see it. It's Amy Poehler and Paul Rudd. Totally really good. Nocturnal Animals. Yeah, he has a very which small role. we didn't like. That much? I we didn't, didn't really... Eh, it was all we right. We didn't... Yeah, it was fine. Um, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. And he's going to be playing Beatty in the Fahrenheit 451 TV movie coming out next year. Which will be the only reason I watch that, because I hate <laughs> four, Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> all right. So, we've gotten through the entire movie. Not a lot of real substance to the movie as far as plot is concerned. Yes. Again, it is a play. A lot of it is dialogue. Let's take this opportunity to talk about William Friedkin. William Friedkin is 82 years old and notoriously is the director of The Exorcist. But he also did, this is such a weird list of movies, okay? I'm going to go over this for you. <laughs> he did an hour episode of uh, the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. Woohoo. He did The French Connection. 
Never seen it, but he, I've heard good things. He did Sorcerer, which I have, but I, I, I got because I really wanted to see it, but I haven't seen it. I have it's, no idea what that is. It's about these truckers trying to get liquid nitrogen through these roads that are terribly dangerous, and they may explode at any moment. He did Cruising. Cruising. Oh, cruising. Yes. The one about the about, one about the Al Pacino playing murder, an undercover killing the gay yeah, community uh-huh. members. That's very good. Yeah, he did To Live and Die in LA. Don't know what that is. Uh he did Blue Chips. Never seen it. With um I've heard of Shaquille it. O'Neal. Never one seen one it. of the first things that made <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal famous. He did Jade. Don't he, know what that is. He did Twelve Angry Men, the, the I think remake? it was for Showtime, the remake, which good. is the first time I ever saw Twelve Angry Men, and I absolutely loved it. Twelve Angry Men is one of my favorite movies of all time, the original, and it was because of William Friedkin's version that I ever saw it in the first place. Rules of Engagement. Rules of Engagement was Tommy Lee Jones and Samuel L. Jackson and Guy Pierce. It's a military movie. Okay, I was thinking of Rules of Attraction. Yeah. <laughs> It is um Okay. It's it's it's, it's one of those now. it's one of those military movies that takes place a lot in the courtroom. He also did two episodes of CSI. <laughs> he did Killer Joe, which is another weird controversial movie. I don't know um, that one. there's a blowjob involving fried chicken. That's very violent and weird. He has a, a movie coming out sometime this year called or came out, The Devil and Father Amorth. And he has uh, something in development called Frankie Machine. So he is 82 years old. He has such a wide breadth of movies he's done. <laughs> and he's still making movies. Dude is a champ. And he has a really, really wide selection of films that he's made across all genres. And he does weird shit like Bug. And obviously The Exorcist. And, and then Cruisin' and Sorcerer, 12 Angry Men. So Jade Blue Chips. <laughs> two episodes of CSI. It's nuts. Um, William Friedkin, you're a weirdo, and I love you. Uh, What else did you want to talk about? The movie begins with her phone ringing off the hook, and every time she answers it, nobody says anything. And Chris actually brought up a good question. Uh, Well, I proved myself wrong, but go ahead. Oh, you did? Yes. How'd you prove yourself wrong? Um, Let me find it here. So the phone keeps ringing every time she answers it, and no one says anything. So this might be... This might be more justification of the joint delusion that they're having. But the light on the phone never lights up when it rings. And that's the thing that I noticed. And usually it's supposed to do that. Later on in the film, it rings. He see he hears it with no prompting from her and the light's not going on. Okay. So either it means the light is nothing or it's more evidence that they are sharing in this delusion. It's never explained what that call is. Well, she thinks it's Harry Connick Jr. She thinks it's her ex. But it's not. I think it's it's well, whatever. pretty safe to say it's not. Either way, why not just take the phone off the hook? Right, yeah. It really confuses me. If it me. really bothers you. Speaking of Harry Connick Jr., I do not believe him as a tough guy, period, end of story. He is so unbelievable as the asshole boyfriend really? in this. Absolutely. I thought he did fine. Charismatic Southern talking piano playing Harry Connick Jr.? <laughs> No, thank you. He is he's, not he is a tough a guy. He's a hot body, he is, by the way. He's very attractive. There's man. one point where he gets out of the shower, and I was like, damn, because I've never found Harry Cotton Jr. attractive in any way. <laughs> I don't, I'm not a huge fan of his music. He's got one or two songs that I enjoy, but damn, he was ripped. Peter talks about people trying to control you, make you act a certain way, which is kind of what, number one, Harry Connick Jr. does to Agnes, mm-hmm. but it's also. What Peter's kind of doing to Agnes. 
mm-hmm. he makes her act a certain way. Mm-hmm. Even if it's unintentionally. He sways when he stands there. Like, whenever he stands in one spot, he kind of sways. Really? Yeah. I never noticed that. That contributes to the the feeling that there's kind of something wrong about him, you know? Okay, well, I've got, I've got some other things. So, in the very beginning, she's throwing away trash, and it shows that she was eating pizza and drinking a whole hell of a lot of wine. She's a definite, she's an addict. Absolutely. Um, Why is she an addict, funny. Kelsey? Why is she an addict? Because she had a son who she lost in the grocery store. And so that turned her into an addict after that. There, it, it, it's not really clear whether or not she was an addict before. She was probably a user before, but then her life got really shitty after the fact. She broke it off with Harry Connick Jr. when he went to prison. And Did they ever say why he went to prison? Yeah, two years for doing some cri- petty crime or something like that. Okay. Or he rolled on somebody. Oh, that's right. Like yeah, that. he, he outed someone because he thought that he was having an affair with Ashley Judd. Yeah. They do say that. And so that meant he had to admit that he was involved. And so he went to prison for two years, at which point she got away and tried to hide from him. But Michael Shannon, I think this is something I wrote down, that he's vulnerable with her. A tough man being vulnerable is something that she really wants. Harry Connick Jr. is never vulnerable with her. Mm-hmm. Coupled with her own fear and anxiety, when he tells her the story about the army tests in Syria during the war, she's bought completely in at this point. When she tells him not to leave her, that's when the helicopter makes the place go crazy for the first time. Uh, He doesn't seem to notice, like he doesn't seem to react, but I mean, I think it's obviously not real. I write, and then later on, I think it's proven that it's not real. Uh, But at one point when RC tries to break them up, she holds him after he starts freaking out, thinking that they're inside him and starts scratching at himself, self-harm. She says, the words she says are, this is the one thing that I have in the world. Who do you think you are? You come in here and try to take from me the one thing in the world I have. Why can't you just leave me with one thing? This is the only thing in the world I have. Why are you trying to take it from me? Get out of here. Get out of here and never come back. And refers to him as it. It's not him. It's the relationship. Mm -hmm. Having something. She loses her son. And I think that kind of breaks her. Uh, Why wouldn't it? And she doesn't have the support structure of the awful relationship that she had with Harry Connick Jr. So this one, this person to take care care of, I think the fact that he's kind of asexual in the beginning also makes her feel more comfortable. She's looking for something to take care of. I have a lot to say about their relationship because as much as I would like to say that I, I would not buy into this story, I see a lot of myself in... Ashley Judd's character. She needs someone. And, uh, you know, not to be, not an indictment of you, babe, or of any of my <laughs> ex-boyfriends. Like, I never see you guys as as things or as, as objects, but I certainly understand that desire, that need, and that want to save a relationship no matter how bad it is. I totally believe that. I buy into it. I understand it. And I also understand the desire to take care of someone. This guy comes into her life and she suddenly feels like she's responsible for him, especially because of the loss of her son. I understand that connection. Mm -hmm. And I also understand what it's like to want to know, like, I need to take care of this person. Even though other people are telling you, hey, this is dangerous. This is toxic. This isn't good for you. I also understand pushing yourself aside and making yourself not important and making the other person all important. And then also, it's really easy for me to buy into his fear because I have a severe phobia of bugs. Which is why, I see, at first I was wondering when you were so excited about seeing this, I was wondering why does she want to see this 
she has this phobia about bugs. Just today, there was a spider in the bathroom, and you screamed bloody murder. Like, it, it happens. You don't like bugs. So I was wondering, why is she so excited about seeing this bug movie with me? Oh, it's because you never see any goddamn bugs. Ever. <laughs> Even the one time you see anything close to a bug that's not just like a fly that you can there see around there. There are two times where they show um, bugs all over the screen, but it's all in their head. But it's like larva. Yeah, which is not quite as bad. You can abstract that. You don't often see larva anywhere in the real world. Mm-hmm. And there's the praying mantis right, right after they have sex. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm not sure what that's supposed to indicate. Yeah, I did not understand that because... It, it would it would imply... That she that takes she, over the yes, relationship. Yes, which she, she absolutely does not. Does not. Yeah. yeah. I don't get it either. But maybe it's it's about, it's a twisted relationship thing. It's about bugs and it's about sex. So I guess maybe it's just supposed to evoke this feeling or it's a misdirect. I guess. Like one of these things. I don't know. Like Chris said, at one point he starts to self-harm because he believes they're all over him. And I have felt that fear before. At one point, this was a couple years ago. We had an infestation of fleas, and this was a real thing. This was not made up. And I would freak out because I would feel them all over me simply because I could see them all over the house. Right. And so I would feel them crawling on me, even though most of the time they weren't, and sometimes they were. Yeah. But for the most part, they were not on me, but it was just seeing them and knowing they were there. Mm-hmm. I could feel them crawling all over me. Don't worry, folks. We fumigated that. We don't live there anymore. Thank <laughs> God. Uh, it's gone. It's done. We don't, like, <laughs> and it wasn't truly our fault. Yeah, we had a cat who never went outside. It was... It was, we we shared walls with other people, and so that was an issue. In any case, what else? Okay, you wanted me to take a note of when they said hard leg because we didn't understand what it meant. Oh, okay. Well, let me let me look that up. Okay, so while you're looking that up, I'll say some other things. Uh, at one point, she says uh, over the phone because she thinks that Terry Connick Jr. calling her. She goes, "I got a gun," and it seems really silly. It does. She doesn't. I think Ashley Judd, I think this is the first time I've ever felt like she had trouble with a character. Normally I can buy into her acting, but there were just times when I felt like she was struggling with behaving as this low-down, dirty addict. I think it was hard for her, but... Anyway, I would like to know why the hell Michael Shannon's character would be in a lesbian bar. Because you find out later that her friend didn't actually know this guy, which Jesus Christ, who does that... Who says, hey, I just met this guy. I know nothing about him. Sleep with him. So hard leg is army slang for a man. Okay. Uh, it, it's a reference to his penis. That's his hard leg. Okay. Often it, it, it says here on Urban Dictionary, often used to plurally to denote a sausage fest. Ain't nothing but a bunch of hard legs and no ass to be found. I think she was just calling him a hard leg, like you penis, like you dick. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway, no sense. Why would Michael Shan's character show up at a lesbian bar? I I don't get it. She she didn't necessarily meet him through the bar. No, she did. Yeah. They showed that in the very beginning. I've been to a lesbian bar before. Yeah, but did you walk in there randomly by yourself and are you a schizophrenic who believes there are bugs in your blood? No. No. It, it makes no and sense. And he didn't, th- this this movie also gets into trust. It should, it should be pointed out that he didn't, it didn't just happen. They form a bond of trust over the course of like two days or so. And then he opens up. He was actually very hesitant to tell her anything about it. He was hesitant and he was to do anything And he was dealing with, with it in his own mind. And as soon as it got out in the open and he was dealing with another person, then all hell broke loose. 
So when her and her friend are partying, doing a lot of drugs, he's in the bathroom. And the, the blonde, her friend R.C., says, uh, you know, why don't you sleep with this guy? Why don't you get to know him or whatever? And actually, Jed says, well, he could be an axe murderer for all I know. And then Michael oh, Shannon so cute. comes it's out. It's so cute. And three times, not once, not twice, but thrice, he <laughs> says, I'm not an axe murderer. <laughs> Oh, I didn't really think you were. <laughs> it was really adorable because he, so he's not like mad about it or anything. He's just like, I'm not an axe murderer. See, that's why at first I thought maybe he had Asperger's because it, it felt like he didn't understand social cues and, you know, he he focused on very certain things and one isn't able to focus on the stuff going on around him. Like he, there were some there were some hints that maybe he had Asperger's, but... Nothing conclusive. But then later it's explained that he was homeschooled and then went into the military. So he's just not socialized very well. Mm -hmm. That's part of it. And then obviously he has a mental disorder. So those things like coupled together made Michael Shannon the weird character that Peter is in this movie. Um, At one point she says, people who don't drink make me nervous, which, you know, just points out how much of an addict that she really is. And he says, I make people nervous anyhow. Yeah. Yeah, you do. No wonder, no wonder. He says at one point that he's not going to have sex with her, and she goes, you a homo? (laughs) (laughs) Which is just, like, 2006, guys. Also, like, like, but why wouldn't she be, you know? Using that word? I don't know. No, right, but... Um, They're in the South, and... She at one point asks an eight ball, should I sleep with him? And it says, better not tell you now. And it really bothered me, because I think he used it to kill a bug, on the wall, and she uses it right after that. And if anyone out there has ever had an eight ball, then you know that you can't shake it that much or it gets all bubbly. Uh-huh. I had an eight ball, <laughs> and you know what my friends liked to do with it every time they were in my room? Shake the fuck out of it, and it, you couldn't read it anymore. It bothered yeah. me. It is extremely uncomfortable. That is one thing that it did very well. Well, part of that is that there is a constant repetitive background noise throughout the entire thing. Really? It's the fan, it's the air conditioning, it's helicopter blades, there it's always a repetitive noise and it's kind of low and in the background so you don't focus on it but it's a little unsettling throughout the entire thing so yeah so you you just you feel unsettled throughout at one point he says i don't like that guy i don't like that he hit you (laughs) he's such a cute if if he if he wasn't schizophrenic or if he had his schizophrenia under control like he'd be a really neat guy i think i'd like him a whole lot Whereas Ashley Judd, I know I wouldn't like her. She's so weird. And she's like, awful to her best friend yes. right away because she has something that's hers, yes. uh, no matter how weird it is. Can I point out, how many movies have we seen now? Four so far? Yeah. How many movies have had male frontal nudity? Three of them? Yes, three out of four. <laughs> Although you do get to see Ashley Judd in this. True. Yeah. Oh my god, that sex scene is super uncomfortable. It's weird. There's a lot of breathing noises. Yeah. And then right before they have sex, he says, because remember, he'd already told her I don't have sex anymore. He says, I haven't been to bed with a woman for a long time, but I think I could go to bed with you. She then cries and then randomly says, 
come here, boy. I'm like, what the fuck is going well, on? It's her motherly thing. It's her need to be in a relationship. It is. It's her codependence. Just everything about their yeah. relationship mm-hmm. makes me uncomfortable, which is why another reason why I think of it as a horror movie. And so she, they're meant to be together because they gave him the drone and they gave her the queen. That's her rationalization. That was the moment that I wrote down, oh my God, Ashley Judd too when she rationalizes how everything's connected and she goes from one thing to the other and he's like, yeah, yeah. And like, come on, you can do it. Okay, okay, get another piece, get another piece. <laughs> oh God, R.C. was here. R.C. Uh-huh. was here and she uh-huh. left because she was spying on you and she was spying on us. So, what? No, and you brought the bugs. The bugs were under your skin and the egg sacs and you brought the, and I R.C. brought the bugs. R.C. brought you. R.C. brought you and then you brought the bugs and then R.C. brought the bugs. Yes! R.C. brought the bugs up. Fucker, RC brought the bugs. I don't think he wants to admit. He knows she's making it up, mm-hmm. right? Like, and and she knows she is, but he, she's getting positive reinforcement from him. And she's like, oh, everything's, I'm piecing everything together. She's just having this improv session. And it felt a lot like a kid's game of tag where they're making up the story as it goes along. You know, like, uh, or they're shooting guns at each other and like, you didn't hit me. Yeah, I did. I was pointing right at you. Well, I have a shield. Like, you know, well, my gun shoots through shields. Like, it's a lot of that where everything comes from the next thing. And when you get to the end, it's they gave you the drone and they gave me the queen. And she's like, yes, I figured it out. You know, but if you go from when they first had that conversation to that, it's fucking nonsense. And she goes step by step to get there. So she doesn't quite realize you know, how nonsense it is, like a little kid's game, you know? Yes, absolutely. Also, I kind of love the way that they show her buying into it throughout the film. The very first time he tries to show it to her, she just kind of goes along with it. She just says, okay, whatever, kill it. And then later he has a microscope and he makes her look into it and she go- she says, I don't know if I see it. Yeah. Which is great because uh-huh. it's kind of it's her- not, I don't see it. I don't know if I see it. She's doesn't want him to leave her. And she yeah. knows that if she says she doesn't, he will. Um, and then at one point he says something about like, I'm talking too much. And she goes, I like hearing you talk because it's not about what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that there's someone in there talking. It's to not her. about who he is. It's about what he represents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The it is the only thing I have in this world. It is the only thing I have in this world. And she says, Two I, horror know, movies. <laughs> I know we haven't known each other very long, but I trust you. It's not that she trusts him. She just wants a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the weirdest part, and you just brought this up, is whether or not he believes it. That's the one thing that really, for her, it's pretty clear. I mean, they she commit suicide it. in the end. Yes. He believes it, but I think. But how? I think part of him hesitates because I think part of him knows he's crazy. And so part of him, I think, hesitates a little bit. But it's only a very small part. But there's just parts where, like you said, when she's making it up, it's like he knows she's making it up. And if he truly believed in this story, why would he want to go along with something that he knows isn't real? So any last things to say about Bug 2006? There was an excellent line where um, the doctor, the the therapist who shows up that they end up killing, which is kind of why they kill each other, I think, because it's like, well, we're kind of fucked. Yeah, they're fucked at this point, surely, yeah. Um, At one point, he says, how do you know this isn't all a delusion? And she says, 
how do I know you're not in a delusion? Uh-huh. And it's just so great because it really pushes the envelope of what is real. How can we trust that anything is real? I think real? there's totally potential that the, both the Doctor and Harry Connick Jr. at the end are not real. Um, when they show up there at that time when everything's manic. Uh, partially because the Doctor starts doing crack and smoking crack. I think it could be weed, but it looked like crack. Um, and... He knows about Lloyd. Right, which is part of the reason why I was like, wait a minute, why does he know all this information? Now, theoretically, about her? he's a doctor that works for the government. He's been tracking him down. He knows who she is ahead of time. And he tries to give her something that she might respond to. But it is a little odd. But it's things that you can rationalize. And again, this is all about you rationalization. You can rationalize it yeah. either mm-hmm. way. Yep. Do you recommend it? I wouldn't recommend it blanket. I think you need to be into a very particular kind of movie. If you like movies that are about paranoia, if you like movies that are ambiguous, if you like movies that just go fucking nuts. Because it does. Which, it goes crazy. Which, which makes me... There are other things about this movie I'm about to mention, but this movie shares a lot in common with its pacing and how it goes crazy with Mother. Mother is just ramped up to ten. Please do not compare this to Mother. <laughs> uh, like I said, there are other things about Mother that, that make it different. But yeah, so if you if that idea appeals to you, then yes. But like I wouldn't have my family see this. Right. I think, yeah, I think there are only a certain type of people that I would recommend it to. But if you're into artsy films that go down crazy rabbit holes, I would definitely recommend it. So what do you think the Rotten Tomato score is for Bug? I actually knew this. I actually did look it up. Not on purpose. It was on accident. I was looking up stuff about the movie and I saw it. Now I don't remember it exactly, but I think it was 67%? 61%. Still certified fresh, but 61%. Underrated, overrated. I think it's underrated. Yeah. I would give it a B- for sure. I would give it at least an 80%. I would give it maybe a 75. Really? Yeah. Uh Despite how good Michael Shannon is? Yeah. He's so phenomenal. I think there's a lot to turn people off in this movie. And I just love how it just dives in and is not afraid to show you the paranoia, but we the can't fear. be we can't be video game reviewers here and grade everything on a seventy to hundred scale. Like there are a hundred numbers to deal with here. I understand anything above like a fifty-five or something like that is fresh. So it's still I still okay. like it, uh, listeners. This is a, I've mentioned this before. I am a teacher, so I think of everything as in grading it. Like if you go anywhere beneath a seventy. It's basically a fail. Yeah, it's a D or <laughs> below. But I would so say 75. Okay. 75, you said 80. It's not that far off. I don't know if I'd give it a full 80, but I did really like it. I liked it. Okay. So that was Bug 2006. Our next episode celebrating uh, the, the kickoff, the launch of this new podcast, Pod Cemetery, is the Halloween double feature. Is that what we're doing next? That's, what, that's what's on our list next. Okay. So that means, so it's kind of crazy, but that's, so that's the original Halloween. It is the Halloween from 2000s, 2007 or something like that. Yeah. Which, spoiler alert, not good. Yeah, we're not looking forward to watching the remake again. We've seen it once. I don't even know if we actually finished it when we watched it. That was how 
2007. We, we are enormous original Halloween fans, or at least I am. I am, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, the the second Halloween actually stars in the role of Laurie Strode, somebody who I knew personally. Really? Uh, yeah, Scout Taylor Compton. I acted with her in the past. Oh. Um, you should let her know that we're going to do a review of her movies. <laughs> I don't know if she'd be too thrilled us saying that it's bad. <laughs> um, she, was, she was in both Halloween and Halloween 2, the remakes from Rob Zombie. Um, we're so, only watching Halloween 1 and, and the new Halloween. Yes. We might do the rest of the series eventually, eventually who knows, but this time around it's only going to be the first. It's just kismet as far as timing is concerned because uh, they did just recently announced that Jamie Lee Curtis is going to be in the new yes. Halloween on the and 40th anniversary. Hopefully it will be better than H2O. Yeah, but I mean, that was made in the era of really bad teen slasher movies. True. So, you know, maybe we'll get some good stuff. This is a really good horror era currently that we're in right now. We are in a good So, So maybe time. we'll get it. There's this awesome picture of her on the porch of the house wearing the same outfit. And it's it's really neat. So I'm looking forward to it. I cannot wait. But our next episode is going to be 1978's Halloween and 2007's Halloween. Mm -hmm. And I have mixed feelings about this next episode. <laughs> All right. So uh, until next time, Kelsey, what do we say at the end of every episode? Don't buy into other people's delusions. Very good. I don't Charismatic Southern talking piano playing Harry Connick Jr. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs>